What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You are listening to the Complex Sneakers Podcast. As always, I am joined by my two friends. First up, Mr. Matt Welty. Feels like we haven't recorded these in a while. I know. A week. I know. And of course, he's still rubbing the sand out of his eyes, but he's 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 alert and he's ready. Mr. Brendan Dunn, how are you, buddy? I'm in the building. Actually, no, I shouldn't say I'm in the building because we were recently in the building with each other. And yes. this is not that. We're, we're at a distance now. But man, what what a different feeling that was. Just last week, we all convened at a safe social distance yep. in the office to sign some complex sneaker of the year books. We we're putting out an extra 200. Those are selling like hotcakes. I got our signatures on all of them. But wow, I, I've seen Joe a couple times during this quarantine, but I saw Wealthy for the first time in person. Again, masks up. We were super safe. But for the first time since March... Yeah, it was, uh, it was weird. Um, you kind of forget that all the time's gone by, you know, because we still communicate every single day of course. on Slack and text yep. and everything, but you totally forget just how long the time had been. Man, it was great to see you guys, and you guys went live uh, towards the end. I missed out. I wish yep. I would have stayed a little bit, uh, but that's what I get for ordering chirping chicken without you guys, which I did. <laughs> oh, you did? Did it hit the same? I'm sorry. I missed out on that. You guys came to the office a little late, and, uh, you know, I had a nice... A nice did it hit chirp different, and chicken Joe, or? lunch. No, it did hit different. It did hit different. <laughs> but it, it seemed like, oh, we're so close, but we're so far away. But just going into the city, going into the office, and, you know, definitely seeing you guys uh, was, was great, man. Crazy times. It's funny, though, because, you know, we everyone talks about when the world goes back to normal, are people still going to live these slow you know, quarantine sort of lifestyles. And this is the third time I've been back to New York City right. since quarantine, but the first time in since since the summer. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a Friday. I was going into the office and like in my head I it was back on my bullshit mode. I mean I didn't end up being back on my bullshit, but I yeah. still got that excitement um of a Friday in New York City. You, you know? were walking through Times Square. I think you <laughs> sent me a, t- a sentimental text. You were really <laughs> feeling it. Yeah, I definitely was. I like I said a tear maybe dropping down the cheek of all of us you know what it did it did feel good though you know what feels so good is whipping around that metallic sharpie on the on the black pages of the complex sneaker of the yearbook there's something so euphoric i was telling wealthy i love the way a metallic sharpie looks a silver a bronze a gold the ink just flows out it's like water yep and mine ran out my uh my silver one ran out no my gold one ran out so i had to steal the silver one off of our uh CRO's desk, Edgar Hernandez. So if that's missing when he gets back to the office in 2022, I'm the one who t- who took the silver Sharpie. But signing those books, hopefully we get those out. I think those are the complex land books. We've signed so many yep. at this point, I can't really keep track of wh- where which is going where. But I think that was the complex land bunch. So whoever ordered those, whoever ordered those, hopefully you get those soon. Yeah, they're definitely going out, man. I and even you know what. I gotta thank you guys too, because being being in the office with you, so one of the one of the underrated elements of this fraternity, this group that we have, you mm-hmm. know, this this unit that we're in, is talking each other off a ledge, and we're oh, always boy. there to talk yeah, each other off Who, some ledges. Listen, listen, you, you, <laughs> and you sometimes, talk about sometimes growth. we're talking Joe off a ledge. Sometimes Joe's talking us off a ledge. You know, yeah. Sometimes you just got to calm down and look at the big picture. And it's you guys helped me look at the big picture last week. And I'm not going to get any more specific than that. Nope. Oh, that's yes. All, no, nope, nope. That's all we need to say. Also, <laughs> no, I know. I also done, the, the premise is right. But let's be honest. Would mm-hmm. the premise not have gone right if this one came to the office a few hours earlier? You never know. If, Mr., if Wealthy no, came. No, wealthy, wealthy agreed. Okay. I actually gave him, yeah, I, I think I would like 
that I gave you sound advice or yes. like to say that. Um, but the crazy know. thing is, so don't want to get into it, but had to reorganize this room to to do a little something that you guys Back at may, home. Okay. maybe maybe seeing in the future there. As you guys can see, there's usually like boxes stacked up over here. Boxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to be seeing this, but um, where are you at the Brooklyn farm? That's where it looks like. right <laughs> Yeah. Now. Very so, tidy in your house. Yeah. Walter. Yes. You I had to Brooklyn uh, farm. I had to um, tidy up a little bit. So I had to take all shoes that weren't of a certain variety and move them into another room, which was like 200 pairs. It's about like 100 wow. pairs in boxes and then like 100 pairs that like are just were sitting there, you know, in a unboxed. Mm-hmm. And it feels so nice to have this many sneakers in my life. And it's making me realize that I need to just get rid Got a downside of the rest of them. And the problem is, Joe, I mean, I don't know if you have this issue. I know I already spoke to Brendan about it, is that a mm-hmm. lot of the shoes that I have are like shoes that are like seven, eight years old, but I wore them like five, six times. So they're right. not really like there's no resale value on these shoes that are old and like not cooked, but like worn a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's like, what do you do with it? I, I promise you this upon hearing this. Many, many listeners will hop in your DMs and yes, suggest and something. You know, they, they're going to want a free pair of shoes from you. They're going to have some brilliant idea for something you could do with them. So you, you're already you're already getting solicitations right now. I can feel I it. I ended up sleeping on my couch last night because there were so many sneakers in my <laughs> bedroom. And I didn't want to go through the process of, like, moving them all back. And I'm like, there's too much shoe juju in this room to... The rest too much. Is that shoo-ju. a pun, Juju? Who's out of the playoffs? Our, our boy <laughs> no. Chops this Browns knocked knocked the Steelers and Juju out of the playoffs. No, <laughs> no. done. Uh, also, going back to the office visit, you got to post that fit. You got to post that fit. I know that you <laughs> wore the vintage dunks so already, regular. but you got yeah. No, it was a good fit. What was what jacket you, was that? Um, that is from AOI Industry in Japan. They do this custom oh. embroidery on vintage okay. gear, so it's a Carhartt jacket with some some special stuff straight out of Tokyo on the back. Yeah, see, I knew it was something special. You know, that's how I do. Oh, we had a we had a big debate in Slack uh, right before we came on. Here. I feel like we do it on purpose. Do we do no, it? No, I didn't. No, right I didn't. Of debates Mm-mm. in the Mm-mm. Slack channel. No, yeah, right before it was it was it was prompted by, and I don't want to spoil it. Was okay. something that Joe had revealed on a new video that he's going to be putting out Monday. Mm-hmm. Monday. I don't want to tell you guys what it is or spoil it or anything, but there's I, you got to tell me on the side. Nothing crazy. I don't even it's a, it's, it's nothing crazy. It's just um, answering some some burning questions from the sneaker shopping fans. Got you. But one of the shoes he pulled out on it was the Akron Impressos, the second round of second it. Second batch. Yeah. And I remember here, like I remember when that shoe came out and how much of a big deal. Like I feel like people made it. How much of a big deal. We made it. We ended up ranking it the best sneaker of 2016 and end up going back and thinking, I don't know if that shoe fell off, but I don't think it was the number one consensus best sneaker of 2016. Uh, Joe, counterpoint? I love that shoe. Forever. I think it goes, I love that shoe. I wear it nonstop. I like the first batch of Akron Impresto's. I like the second batch of Akron Impresto's. The argument in the slack was the Yeezy 350 V2. It was, looking back, it did have a bigger impact. I just think the Akron Impresto looks better and aged fine. And I think it's a totally legitimate choice for number one. Do I think, again, do I think it is as big as the Yeezy 350 V2 turned out to be? Absolutely not. No, but it's I, big. I, you I, can't even make the argument. You can't make the argument, but I wouldn't change 
I wouldn't change my vote is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? And maybe there's some sort of personal favorite in there, but personal favorite bias. But I I think it's so funny because we get in these heated discussions. And what I was trying to say in the Slack, I was like, where do you guys put the acronym Presto? And Welty and Ben were like, uh, you know, top three. And, and as passionate and as much as we argue – if it's you, top three, that's close enough for me. Like, you could live with it. You don't live need with it to be, exactly. Yeah, that's basically be like, all right, well, we kind of, we kind of agree. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we argue and we're so passionate about these daily debates that just pop up out of nowhere. If you're, if we are as close to one to three, I'll take it. I'll take it. So, but yeah, that's fun. That's why we are who we are. That's why number one in the space because we're <laughs> don't passionate. Forget that. We're passionate. That's the most mundane arguments happen with us nonstop. They come out of nowhere. The slack is booming. Oh, no business. <laughs> the slack is booming. <laughs> and that is why, you know, it comes out how it comes out. You get any phone calls, Joe, over the uh, 1-800-COLLECT? I did not get a phone oh. call over L- the 1-800-COLLECT. L- liter- literally dropping dimes into the payphone? <sighs> I, did, I didn't. I did not. And... Uh yeah, I mean, actually, do you? I have a I have a memory. This is uh somewhat related, but just the first time ever receiving a collect call, and it was a a, a jail call from my brother. And I I realize I I remember being a young kid and getting that call and being like, no, I don't want this. What is this? And hanging up because right. I didn't understand what what that meant. The robotic voice on the other end saying there was an operator and did we want to accept charges? And I'm not going to accept any charges. Yeah. And hung up. Oh, on your own brother. I didn't know. I didn't. I've I picked didn't someone up from jail. I've picked someone up from jail before, uh, like a decade ago. And it nobody was like, I know. No one you know. You know. On a lighter note, though, something that we never do, and we want you, we encourage our audience. We appreciate you guys, but please like, subscribe, and rate, especially in Apple Podcasts. Please leave a comment about the podcast if you're enjoying it. We need. Uh, we we don't do enough of the like, subscribe things, and uh, as. I always say it on YouTube. I never do it on sneaker shopping, but we, we got to start doing that. We want our audience to grow. We want to hear from you guys. So like and subscribe the podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend to do the same. Yeah, you know, help us skyrocket to the top of the charts and hold on to that position for a long, long time. We need all that engagement in every single algorithm. So we would appreciate that greatly. Done. We got hit by Sneaker Den. Sneaker he, Den on Instagram. Sneaker Den on Instagram. He was selling some dunks. I got the undefeated. Oh, yeah. It's coming. I'm very happy about them. I've been no looking, liner pair? No liners. Yeah, the NLs. I've been looking for those for a while. And I think he was talking to you. He, he, he haven't locked down a pair yet from him, though, right? No, I haven't. I, You know what? I understand why the dunk prices on old pairs are where they are right now. But for a lot of those pairs, if it wasn't something super special to me or something sentimental at the time, I can't bring myself to go back and pay a high price for something that might have gone on sale when it first released or something like that so i just i just feel like some of those prices not with respect to this seller in particular but mm-hmm. with respect to the market at large are inflated so I, I don't need to go back for random dunks you know i have some random old dunks and that's enough the, the other stuff I'll, I'll buy the new pairs and i'll come back to them in 10 years you know what i mean and that's no offense to anybody spending their money like that well those vintage dunks you wore in the office still thinking about those with fire what are the, what were those st john's or unlv unlv St. John's. St. John's, yeah. St. John's. We'll be talking about UNLV a little bit. <laughs> Not that I know anything about college basketball, but yes. No. On today's episode.
Yes. Yeah, of course. Man, of course. do we have a banger of an episode. Wealthy, I have one question. Do you ever go back to for classic Adidas models with resellers or no? Do you do you do that at all? Um, I've thought about it and I end up never doing it. There's a lot of Facebook groups out there. It's like where you have to acquire a lot of the shoes from because okay. they're they're not on like uh StockX, but it's like a lot of people in Europe who have the shoes and for some reason it just seems like a lot of hassle to get the shoes shipped here and I just feel like uh I'm at the point now, especially with cleaning this room up, that I do not want to acquire any more sneakers yeah. until I purge a pretty yeah. decent amount. Like someone hit me up and was like, hey, like we'd love to send you this new pair of shoes and I kind of want the shoes. But I also told myself, I don't need any more sneakers. I shouldn't yeah. say yes to this. I, I feel bad about it. I know what you mean. Totally. I'm even in a zone. I mean, you guys hear my woes with packages and deliveries mm-hmm. and shipping dates and things like that. But I'm even in a zone where I'm like, do I need to just abstain from acquiring anything from a month? Because am I getting all my happiness right now from the packages that arrive at my doorstep? You know what I mean? Totally. And just so everyone knows, I'm in Atlanta. We traveled here safe. I'm shooting, knock on wood, the first two episodes of the new season of Sneaker Shopping. You know what I got? <laughs> Safety <laughs> first, baby. Yes, I love that or, the the PPE. Yeah, the PPE. We got the PPE right. Although our producer, super producer Dave Matthews, he didn't have the shield on the plane, but I'm not saying anything. It was an N95, so he's he's good. I just took it another step. You were mask and shield, Joe. Yeah, mask and shield. Okay, I've never worn a shield. Yeah, it's very tough to see out of. I'll, I'll let you know that. <laughs> Does it help obscure your face a little bit, Joe? Because I'm sure you get stopped in airports <laughs> in the pandemic. Uh. I don't. I can't see out of it that well, so I don't think people could see in with the mask. Yeah, and that it's it's a it's a little tough. So let's waste no more time, man. Do we have a special special guest? And uh, let's get to him right now. Our guest on today's podcast is one of the most iconic sports and sneaker marketing executive of all time. He single handedly changed the way signature sneaker deals were ideated, created, and executed. From the 80s to the mid-2000s, his vision for spotting young talent, aligning them with powerhouse sneaker brands, led to some of the most impactful sneaker deals of all time. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Tracy McGrady, this was the man behind the ink of those deals. Oh, and he was also there for the LeBron courting. His work at Nike and Adidas changed the footwear industry forever, and we can't wait for him to share his stories today. Please welcome to the Complex Sneakers podcast, the legendary Sonny Vaccaro. Welcome, Sonny. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. How are you, Sonny? I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm ready. Uh, you can go anywhere you want. So awesome. Take, take me, uh, take me on the, the the boat, and let's go out to sea. Yeah, we want to go on this journey with you. There's so many places to start. I, I think maybe we want to start in 1977 when you first got connected with Nike. You wanted to pitch them on a shoe you had made with somebody back in Trafford. Is that right? Absolutely. It was a shoemaker friend of mine that uh, had. I had an idea given to me by about a 14-year-old kid at my camp in, in, in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania, when I was right after the round ball classic started. And that was the All-Star game I started. But a kid came to me at camp one day. And this is how the whole thing started. And he said, Mr. Vaccaro, and I said, what, Charlie? I, I don't know his name, but I use Charlie for everything I talk about with him. And I said, what can I help you with? So Mr. Vaccaro, in a very nice, sad way, he said, why don't they make tennis shoes? And that's what they called all shoes back in the 50s and 60s, just mm-hmm. a tennis shoe. You wore it for everything. So why don't they make tennis shoes? So they're nice. You can wear them to the dance. You can wear them to church. You can wear them to school. Because a tennis shoe at that time was solely a tennis shoe. You just wore it in the playground. You wore it when you played basketball. You right. were in, in those days, 
asphalt wasn't in. You played wherever you could play. And the tennis shoe was the, that was the one that separated people because when, when you went to school, some of the schools and some of the kids didn't have to wear tennis shoes. In the East, it was a tennis shoe or a clodhopper. And a clodhopper was a, a long leather thing up to your ankles, past your ankles with the shoelaces so you kept your feet warm. So that is how it's happened. He asked me, why don't they make it? It stayed in my mind until I visited Nike. I visited Nike solely for to introduce him to new shoes that Charlie gave me the idea. Nothing about putting paying coaches, nothing. Michael Jordan wasn't born yet. I mean, I mean, okay. that world, okay? He was just starting high school. I mean, playing high school basketball in the 70s. Now, just so we understand that, everything started by a kid coming to me and saying, he was ashamed of wearing a tennis shoe. That's what it was. Mm. So that's where we are. I went to Nike. I told them about Charlie. They kept nine, nine designs. My, my shoemaker friend in Trafford, Pennsylvania. And just for the record, that shoemaker friend grew up to be in the Hall of Fame of shoemaking. That's a fact. Wow. Oh, wow. Me, Bobby D. Rinaldo. Just go look it up. Bobby D. Rinaldo. His father was a shoemaker that immigrated from Italy. Uh, he and you know and he just passed recently. He made me with white leather. He cut holes on the side. Um, he made a disco shoe by sunning you know like sprinkles on a cupcake. Mm-hmm. He made nine different variations of a shoe. One had Velcro on it. This is 1976, 77, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Bobby and I not to put the shoes on the damper damper round ball classic. Right. Not to sign. 80 coaches in two years to wear the Nike swoosh. Yeah. Not to sign Michael Jordan, not to give Sonny Vaccaro another step up on his way to being 81 years old. Charlie did that. So so you didn't end up making shoes with Nike, but you did end up making history with Nike because they kind of tapped you to become this early wizard, this guru who would connect college teams with the brand and basically get paid to wear Nike shoes. Kind of the beginning of Nike in college basketball, right? It was the beginning of Nike and basketball. Forget college basketball. Nike had one. They didn't have anybody in basketball. They were, they were giving the shoes to the University of Oregon and Dick Harder, and I think he still wore something else because they were paying him, uh, or the school was giving him something, whatever. So, it, no, let, let's start from the beginning. Mm. What's that commercial? No, yet, net yet. You know that commercial we see? No, no, no. They mm-hmm. had no one. So, in reality, Charlie gave birth to Michael Jordan. Just so we understand that. They had like the waffle trainer and that was it, right, Sonny? The waffle trainer and they had Farrah Fawcett on a skater. Remember that? Right, in the Cortez. The Cortez. That's, that's what they had. Just so we put everything there. $25 million in sales. Your people, you know, I don't know, you know, how you follow it. I know, I know you're, you know, you're shoe centric in your show. But my point mm-hmm. is, that's what happens in history. Out of the clear blue sky, something new happens. And that was the origin of marketing. That was the origin, you know, and today Nike is obviously one of the most successful companies in the world, no matter what, what breed it is, okay, what you're making. And we've had so many since the 70s. If it wasn't for Charlie, I never would have gone to Nike, just so we understand it. And I bought my tickets just for Charlie. So- Sonny, the, the first, and then, you know, you go to the NCAA, 
um, with Nike to kind of get the coaches to get the the kids to wear the shoes. The first coach that you get is Jerry Tarkanian at UNLV, and he approached you and said, "Sonny, is it is this legal? Are we are we allowed to do this?" Was that the reaction that you got around the league by paying the coaches for the kids to wear the shoes? Well, you know what? You got the story. You got the people wrong. Jerry didn't give a damn if it was legal or not. Okay. <laughs> $5,000, 60 pair of shoes and 60 T-shirts. And he said, am I going to get the shoes? You know, and am I going to cash the check? No, I'm being facetious a little bit, but that's it. Jimmy Valvano said what you're asking me that question. Jimmy, I went to him. I met him, I met him at the airport at LaGuardia uh, when he was with Iona, I believe. And, uh, and I, I went to him and Jimmy said the famous statement, what do I got to do? Fix the game? You're asking me, you're giving me $5,000, you're giving me 75 shoes, you're giving me 250 t-shirts. My, that's basically, none of them believed me, but they took, mm. you know, we, we started the world. And Jerry was the first, and Norm Ellenberger. And I, I, I signed Jerry's friends, and I signed the second year, my personal friends. We went from seven or eight the first year, because I, I just got in the road. That's all I did, and, and went to my friends. But Tark, I lived in Las Vegas then. And uh, so Jerry, Jerry did. I mean, he was the first one to do it. And then, you know, then, well, take me from there. But that's how it happened. Sonny, do you remember back then after seeing college kids wear the shoes, how hot Nikes became? Were you seeing younger kids at big sporting goods stores lining up for shoes or clamoring over the sneakers that were on the wall? Do you remember those models? I, I can't. I don't know anything about shoes. No, come on, Sonny. Uh, no, you don't know no, anything about I, shoes. No, I, I swear to God, I, I know about marketing. I know what, what does. I know about, I, 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 that was the irony at one time, and I'm not going to get it on your show. You know, people thought I was stealing secrets or something. I don't know a damn thing about making a shoe. I know a lot about making a shoe sell. That's a different question. My theory was then and is today, put them on the kids. Mm-hmm. People will buy them. Kids and, 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 you know, the, the irony we go through, and it's so easy in history to look back. And it's just like Steve Jobs when, you know, him and his buddy put together the first computers and all that stuff. And, you know, Microsoft and all these people that did all these strange things. Well, that was a strange thing because I walked in and said, I'm going to pay you. I gave somebody's eventually about five years. Nike was paying them more than their colleagues were paying them, mm-hmm. just so you understand. And then when we put some of these guys on scholarship and gave them stock, and then one of them went on to be on the board of directors, the late guy, John Thompson, you know, the world changed. But the problem with the world, and we're living in one of today, where fact and fiction don't hit it off, and where only the one with the voice can explain what what the story was. If it wasn't for Charlie, I don't go there. That's, I got to stay there. But after Charlie got there, I I had my run of anything. I was, and 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 even though your your audience probably knows I have a major problem with Nike as we live today, but my problem with Nike never was when I was with them. I had access and the ability to sign everybody I wanted at the price I put out, including Jordan. I didn't make the price for Jordan. I got him in the shoe. That's I discovered him. I got him to the meeting. All these things. I may be ahead of what your questions are, young man, but I want you to stay on this because it goes into one of the greatest things that ever happened. I mean, you know, 
and it all started because of kid. And you say that, you know, Charlie got you to Nike, but I remember that uh, I saw P- Nike was like, who should we go after in the draft? Who should we go after? Is it Charles Barkley? Is it Hakeem Olajuwon? Is it John Stockton? And you said, we need to go after one person and we need to throw the bag at Michael Jordan. We need to go all full in on Michael Jordan. And what back then was it him? obviously the North Carolina career? He had a great career, but what about him at that time was this is the guy. Let's not do a group. We do one person. It's Michael Jordan. What spoke to you about him? You know, your introduction was good, but you're, you, as most people, it's not your fault because it's basically what's been printed. Nothing to do with North Carolina. I, okay. I didn't know Dean Smith. They weren't a Nike school. Michael didn't play in my all-star game. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't mm-hmm. know. I never knew Michael Jordan. I, the Georgetown game, which was one of my favorite teams and one of my, you know, of all time. There's no question about that. And we had everybody eventually. Um, from the left corner, the shot he made. Yes. I was there rooting for Georgetown, just so we understand. Mm. You were watching the game. It was in yeah. New Orleans? I, Is that I was, right? No, I wasn't watching. I was right there, right 15 <laughs> feet away. From, and he had the converse. Yeah, so he, he does that. But my point to you is, it's stuck in my mind. And it's not, it doesn't suffice to, to tell you the whole thing, but I'll just say one thing. I never mentioned Michael Jordan's name again till they brought me to the meeting. It wasn't in my mind. I, I didn't give a damn about Michael Jordan at that time. But we were going to sign one guy. They invited me to a meeting because they never, I was never invited to the pros. I had nothing to do with the pros in 1983, 84. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I did colleges. I did the Dapper Dan Classic. Mm-hmm. The ABCD camp wasn't invented. It right. was invented in 84, and we are still after Nike. So all the things that sort of added to whoever I became, you know, 100 years later were an accident. That's been my life. I've never knew what I was going to do until I did it. The Dapper Dan Roundball Classic, I was 24 years old, 1965. Kids weren't even on airplanes. They were flying. Mom and dad were putting them out flying from Los Angeles to Pittsburgh to play in a game that was never played before. And they did. So all this BS about how the, the progress of shoes developed, there is only one story. The story is, you know, Jimmy Valvano and Jerry Titanian and later John Thompson and the whole goddamn thing. You didn't ask me. You talked about Michael Jordan. But prior to signing Michael Jordan in 1984, Nike had all four teams in the Final Four. Mm. And in 1977, they didn't have one team wearing the shoe. Nike became, you know, invincible Mm -hmm. because of one thing. We paid the college coaches, and and the and I don't want to go into the subway on your show. But my point is, mm-hmm. the, the, those beautiful, pure people that still run that organization said nothing to me nor Nike mm-hmm. until 1988, when I signed an all-school deal at the University of Miami. I'm getting ahead of your questions, but mm-hmm. I'm just trying to give your audience a feel. Charlie makes everything work. The Dapper Dan started everything. I was 24 years old getting kids off an airplane to play in a game in Pittsburgh. Just for a matter of fact, 10,336 people showed up the first year in Pittsburgh to a team, to a place that basketball wasn't big. University of Duquesne and University of Pittsburgh were things. The Pittsburgh Condors were the professional team, and we didn't have any All-Americans. Sonny, so, you know, 
you mentioned Michael Jordan. There's, you know, obviously the story that he was deciding between Converse and Adidas. Those were his two uh, choices before Nike. And then, you know, you convince him to go over to Nike. He's going to get his own shoe and everything. How much do you think that the sneaker world industry, we know it, changes if Michael Jordan ended up signing for Converse or Adidas? Will we still be having this conversation right now, do you feel like? Not, not to offend you guys, you wouldn't be doing this show. It's <laughs> true. There's no question. I, I don't understand why the people in this world don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Michael opened the door for everybody. There is no $100 million for LeBron that I put out on the floor and, you know, and, and Adidas didn't give me the money to sign him. Right. There is no Kobe Bryant. The shoe contracts, but who in the hell were thinking what, what happened? Jordan, Michael, by his very nature, the, the most unbelievable story in sports is Michael Jordan, that he ends up owning part of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know what? You're not really right. He probably would have signed with Converse, but the only reason is because stupid Adidas, they made two mistakes in their life, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Just think about it. Do you think he would have been as big at one of those other brands than he would? No, not that, not that he wouldn't have been as great. No, no, I don't want to say that. Michael right. would be great if you and I coached him, okay? Yeah. What he wasn't going to be was marketed. Mm-hmm. Okay, the shoes. Yeah, that's, that's what, what they I meant. promised me. Mm-hmm. They were going to, the first day I met him with Tony Ramos, I yeah. tell him to his face, you're going to have your shoe. Rob Strasser told me that. I didn't make that up. That's why it was me. Because the five people in the room that day, I was the outlier. I was right. the guy with the college teams. I, I had nothing to do. They had a lot of pros. They were paying, you know, decent money. And also there was Magic Johnson, Julius, Julius Erving. There was a lot of great players, you know, before Michael Jordan. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Converse used to put them, you know, on a, on what the hell they did, a poster or something. The weapons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my God almighty. I mean, they had no clue. You know why they had no clue? They had no reason to pay anybody or do anything. They were the only shoe in the country. You know, Adidas was running. Adidas was running shoes. That's what they were. They mm-hmm. were in a running shoe business. And so was Nike at that time. Because, uh, you know, Phil was a runner. The guy who yeah. invented Nike was the, the coach at Oregon, the track team. This does not happen. This isn't for self-glorification. I'm looking you in the eye and saying, if they don't invite me to the, to the meeting, the world changes. It had nothing to do with Michael Jordan. But no matter what Michael Jordan and anyone else wants to say, if he'd have gone to Converse, what the hell? Are they going to put him ahead of Magic Johnson? I mean, let's just be honest here now. Magic was the guy. Magic in that year, if I remember correctly, right, uh, the the games were tape delayed on the East. You know, the the NBA finals and all that sort of stuff. But Magic was the man. I mean, that's that's what it is. So now this kid... This kid comes over and he goes to Chicago. They ain't won in 75 years. I mean, come on. Michael and Spike Lee. Spike did it. Spike did it. The shoe. And yep. look what happened. Spike rose in to be one of the greatest filmmakers in the world. He was a non-entity. He was fighting. I go back and watch you know, the movie a thousand times. I mean, it's ironic how things happen. Spike has a shoe named after him now. now that's, that's yeah, it's like, yep. And there's still no Sonny Jordan. 
<laughs> and there'll never be a Sonny Jordan. They, they they pretend that Sonny wasn't there when Jordan was there. I mean, it's the biggest fraud in America. I'm not talking about the President of the United States claiming something that wasn't true. My mind is true. <laughs> Why do you think they try to downplay your significance so much, Sonny? Because Michael Jordan and Nike co-founder Phil Knight, they will always say that Sonny had lesser role than Sonny says he did. It, they're in, it's indefensible. They can't do it. Mm-hmm. They can't do it because in a house that I'm sitting in and the stuff that I have, it's impossible. But it, it, it's done because of animus. It's done because of ego. And it's done because what I did was go against them. Not in the, in, in the sense of like, whatever. I just continued my life. Mm-hmm. I can't explain hypocrisy. I can't explain greed. I have no idea what the hell that means. But how you can go from traveling the world with an individual and the Nike thing's ridiculous. You know, Phil Knight's, they're all ridiculous. I mean, they should have tried something else. I mean, uh, because the facts are, there's too many, not memories, factoids that right. show the history. You know, where yeah. I was. I mean, the mm-hmm. last dance was the last dance. I mean, that's that was pathetic. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing I want to ask about Jordan and Nike, Sonny, is just how long your relationship with Jordan continued while you were still working for Nike, because I know the Jordan line was immediately successful and huge, but there's a lot of industry legend about Michael Jordan wanting to leave Nike a few years later, around 87, 88. Do you remember that era? I was there. I stayed with Michael. Rob Strasser and Peter Moore left. Right. I, I could have gone with Rob and Peter because they started were... Start Van Grack, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Rob was the guy that really signed me. He... Phil wasn't in that meeting that they had. Rob Strasser was there. And Rob and, and uh, uh, you know, a couple other people that were higher than me. I mean, uh, so I'm saying Phil was not there when I said Jordan. So that's the irony there also. But I stayed with Michael. I, there was nobody closer mm-hmm. in the world. I traveled the world with Michael. I slept at his house with Michael. It, it's impossible. I have Christmas cards. <laughs> I mean, do you remember him wanting to leave Nike at that time? Absolutely, I remember, and so does Phil. I mean, Michael knows it too, but they'll say no now. I was, I was at the meetings. Why was he unhappy? Because he wanted the peace. He wanted his own brand, and and Phil was never going to give him his own brand. But the only mm-hmm. thing that's relevant to what you're talking about here in the show is why, after all these years, and and basically. It, I didn't get the best of anything. I just continued my life, and I guess I've been pretty successful. But my point in this is, I've lived 81 years, and I've seen a lot, okay? Mm-hmm. And a lot, a million things away from the shoe industry. But I think the worst thing can happen, and it corresponds with the world we live in today, a lie created by a rich adversary or a powerful country or whatever can survive time because time and history only exists if you have a co-thing. And I want to say something, and I want your audience to understand what I'm saying. And if I misconnect with you guys, please answer me. I read a lot when I was a child, unbeknownst to a lot of people, a lot of things that did not make sense to me and why. I knew not when it happened. I knew when I was a little bit older. There was a mystery. There was a lot of mysteries to me. And one of the greatest mysteries in my life was the Diary of Anne Frank. And I read parts of that. There was no movie then, just so we understand what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, okay? And, and what I remember, what I remember about reading this book about this girl who was sequestered in an attic for a certain period mm-hmm. of time by the Nazis because her parents, being Jewish, were going to be 
done over with, right? Mm -hmm. The thing that stuck in my mind until maybe the last five years or when I went back and I, I put something together for myself, only because someone saved a copy of her writings or her sketching. It wasn't a book. It was just a bunch of sketches. She didn't get, you know, Simon Schuster to print something. She wrote it up there in that attic over a period of time. And there was something saved because the family did get caught and it was not a good ending, right? For millions of people. But they that saved, that saving saved the world more than Schindler's List to me because that little girl overcome Hitler. And that's what a lie does by bad people or people who control the lie. If I would quit now, in 10, 20 years, they wouldn't know Sonny Vaccaro existed in this world. Never in my life, ever. And this just happened to be so big because they're one of the biggest countries in the world. I said to myself and my wife a long time ago, not when it happened, not when they fired me, I did okay. But when they started the lie, and you all read the, the, the Josh Peter thing in USA Today about five or six years ago, where they, they said that's when they started. It took them to 19, 2016 or something to, to figure it out together. They had three people, the three, my three Judases, really. Phil Knight, Michael Jordan, and George Raveling. And George Raveling is the worst of the three because he was a personal friend. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying to you guys here, it's, it's all about, it's a, and it's not that big. What difference does it make? Just, it is what I did. Right. Why yeah. would you do it? Unless history doesn't want it that way. But I have no idea. I never went out openly. In fact, I found some articles where I actually said good things about Phil Knight. And I had to say good things about Phil Knight while I was there. He let me do anything I wanted to do. Everything. And there was never a contract in basketball that anybody okayed other than me. I never did the contracts. I did the number. You were worth $5, you were worth 10 Walt Hazard from the University of UCLA wanted to be signed by, by me, Nike. And he wanted the John Thompson contract. We were meeting at you know, Izzy's restaurant in Santa Monica. And I met him. And that was a big sign. We didn't have UCLA. And Walt comes, and I knew Walt. He's, he was a Philadelphia kid. And he was, obviously, you all know Walt. But, you know, and I said to him, like I'm looking you in the eye right now, I can't give you that contract. And he said, why not? You're not John Thompson. That's what I said. Otherwise, the value in my mind was set by the main people that we had. I didn't, in the pros, as we went forward, when I left Nike and started with Kobe, Kobe was the first one to get a million dollars coming out of high school, first Mm -hmm. one. And Tracy got more the next year because it was the next year. The first guy's always the lowest, other than what? It took a lot of years for them to pass up LeBron James in that right. contract, a lot of years, right? And even Zion didn't do it. It's a trick, right? He didn't do it, right. just so we understand that. And Sonny, the shoes you're talking about are the 1991, the NBA Finals game worn infrared sixes. Jordan basically yes. wore them, and, and the toe is split. 
did Jordan did, did is that only one of the shoes that you own? Did he give you shoes? How is he reacting to product? We'll get into the auction as well. But when these sneakers that were selling so much, when he would get these designs, you were so close to him. Would he be super excited about the designs that he was getting? He 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 was, and he did take a part after a while. I used to go with him on the shoots. I, I never got involved in that. I mean, Peter Moore did okay. all that the first year, and then Tinker Hatfield did them after that. And and I knew mm-hmm. Tinker, but I wasn't as close to him as I was to Peter because Peter and Rob really brought me in. But but Michael got involved. I mean, uh, yeah, and he he was. I mean, all the athletes get involved. Uh, you know, I don't know what that means. They look at it, they hold it, and right. they mm-hmm. do whatever. Michael and I had this professional relationship. Howard White was the closest guy to Michael. Howard was his friend. Mm-hmm. You know, he was his age. He played at Maryland. He knew I, when Howard came there, he, you know, he's a very dear friend to this day. I mean, I mean, there's not a negative there, but the irony of like Michael, I did so many professional things with Michael. So I've seen for those people even to make up stories. I did a TV mm-hmm. show for him when I wasn't even at Nike anymore. I did Saturday Night Live with him. I mean, yeah, well, the Jordan Sixes, the special pair. Can you describe to the audience how that came about and from you getting them into to what's happening with them now? Well, what I'm telling the world is here's one they can't possibly refute. Pam and I, we live in Palm Springs, California now. We Every year after you know the, the season was over, this is the final, um, we would come to Palm Springs. The irony of that was it's only like 140 miles from Los Angeles. And for a week to mm-hmm. 10 days, because I was getting ready for my summer season. That's when ABCD camp was in gone, okay. you know, the round ball classic, all the things that I did. You know, and then I started the big time in Vegas. So all the things I did was summertime. I signed the coaches. Then I worked the, you know, the month of July. So we'd come up here for years. So Howard calls me on the phone the day of the first game. They're in L.A. He said, you know, Sunster, what here here's uh, you know, Michael has two tickets for you for tonight or tomorrow's game. I don't know what day it was, but tonight or tomorrow's game. And uh, and I said, H, we can't we can't go. We're going to Palm Springs. And he said, What do you mean? I said, Pam and I are going up there. He said, Okay. I said, you know, give them away to somebody else. So he offered us tickets to the game. Now they win and they now they play tomorrow, right? Or Sunday, whenever that was. We're still Palm Springs watching the games. The games, like tomorrow morning now, they're getting ready to leave. They had a big party that night down at the Rich Carlton. Legend has it, one of the greatest parties ever had. The Bulls <laughs> one. And uh, H calls me, H does, and said, Michael left you a present. He left you a pair of shoes. I said, we're not going home till Saturday, you know, another four or five days. He said, I'll give them to the bailman down there, and they'll put them in you know, where they put the bell stuff, you know, your, your, your luggage. Those shoes sat at the Rich Carlton for about a week. Wow. We went back to Santa Monica. They were wrapped up. I picked them up. I didn't know what the hell they were. I mean, I just, I knew. And they were the split shoes because the day we're talking about that the game might have gone to is when he wore them. He put them on for practice the next game and they didn't fit. And then you had the TV and, you know, you know, Rashad, you know, Ahmad Rashad interviewed him on TV. I mean, it's there. There's nobody in the world. It's you on can't the record. Cut that, yeah. You can't cut it anymore. I mean, right? When they took it, the, the evaluator from the auction people. I mean, there's no other shoe like this. It, in fact, in reality, 
is probably the most valuable, nothing to do with whatever the hell it is. I, I'm selling it because I probably never would have sold it for your show. It meant too mm-hmm. much to me. It was a gift for Michael. But the, the, the last dance, that was the last draw for me. He, he broke my heart because that's when everybody watched it. And just so you guys know, I interviewed for three hours for that show, two, three hours. They came. And didn't, they didn't include you. No, not a lot. They saw my rear end, I think, in one thing. They couldn't edit the whole paper or something. They were trying to pretend I wasn't even at the signing. I mean, <laughs> Wow. So, so you, you actually sat down for the last dance, and they didn't use any of the footage. And now you're selling these 1991 NBA Finals game-worn Jordan high-top sneakers, um, the Jordan sneakers, because just you kind of want to wa- wash your hands with it, essentially? No, it, the day – I didn't watch – dance because i knew they were going to do that and i told the producers people that i knew personally in fact some of those people did soul men so it was a personal thing and when he asked me to do it i said i'd love to do it you're not gonna you're not gonna show it and they promised me they would show it they they told me they owned it they lied Uh. i well i knew michael or nike would never have me but it wasn't negative i mean Mm -hmm. in fact i would i would you know I would give anything for the world to see what I said. It was the truth, like I'm telling you. But you know what? And the, the thing that rubbed me horribly wrong, the producer, whatever hell his name is, and I know he's a big timer. Well, they're all big time. They won a Grammy or Emmy or some goddamn thing. And I'm happy. But what they did, they lied to me. I never would have done it. You guys know a little bit about me. I don't put myself in position where I would have made like a fool. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I've been doing this for a long time and I've been a lone wolf for a long time. They asked me, I didn't call them and say, I want to be on it. They came here where I'm sitting literally a mile and a half away is, is, the, is the hotel on the ground. We're on the ninth hole on Rancho Barrage. We went across to the Westin for two and a half hours. And when it was all over, they had nine, I think about nine cat, uh, people who work, you know, the guys like work for you, the, Right. Guys who put on the videos and the, the sound, they come over and shook my hand and clapped with me and, 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 and the technicians and the, and the interview guy. They, they brought in a guy from Pittsburgh who I knew his granddaddy because I'm from Pittsburgh to do the interview with me. His dad was Chili Billy Cardell, who was one of the great all-time movie guys in Pittsburgh. He used to do the, the Halloween stuff. I mean, I knew Jill. I knew his grandfather. They brought him in to interview me. And this this horrible person that's won an Emmy for like producing this great show. And I don't doubt it would be. He lied. He said, can you believe what I'm going to say next? He said that I was incredible. One thing I am, you can take everything I say in your show and any show that I ever said, unless it was a stupid mistake and not something that would affect a human being. I've never been afraid to interview in my life. And I've basically been a lone wolf doing this all my life. So they hurt me. So go back to the young man. His question was, that was the Rubicon for me. That's what I had that little saying. My wife doesn't like when I say that. You crossed the Rubicon. That night, I was mad. I sat on a chair right over there and I was calling two or three personal friends. And I told them, I, I just, I, I was mad. Pam was in the other room. I'm, I'm in the office and I'm, I'm mad. I'm saying, and I only know that because it was all over with. And there it was. 
And some people who watched it says, no. He said, I think I saw a picture of you. A guy called me. And then I went nuts. I did. It hurt. It, and it still hurts. So when you ask me about the shoe, gentlemen, hopefully, I don't know how many people watching, one or a million to one. I hope whatever it is, the, the one person listens to me. I didn't sell it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Just stop and think what I just it never was on my mind. It was in, a, in my wife's clothing thing, all wrapped up in 30 years. I only showed it to, some of my kids never saw it. Wow. It was just something I was going to say for Michael Jordan. I got autographed books. I got cards. I got Chris. I got all this stuff. I traveled the world with a guy. So Michael will live with this. Now, he'll live pretty good, you know, and Phil's living pretty good, and Raveling. He can't live good because he lies. He lies. He, you, know, I, you know, I'm hard. He was my best man. I knew him before I knew the other two people. He actually left Nike and went to some other shoe company before he went back to Nike. That's what happened. So you put me to the test now. You do this thing. You ask me to come on. And then you say, I'm not credible. Well, I certainly am not, and don't anyone infer that I, I, I'm, I'm using her, you know, Aunt Frank's story as just a segment, nothing that big. Now, don't, I don't want yeah. people to want to, okay, just so we understand that. Right. But I'm saying to you, it can happen to anybody if everybody doesn't get a chance to tell their story. And fortunately... I guess I am somebody because people like you want to listen to my story. And if I can say it, and, and I've, I've got another interview today. In fact, I'm the most popular guy who doesn't ask for anything when people call. And I certainly don't call people to ask them to do a story because I want to tell the story. Not for me, for others that don't know how to fight. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And why they would do it, I mean, you know, Field Knight has done some unbelievable things with his money lately. He just started hospitals and mm-hmm. heart hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's great. And Michael's finally given money. He still picked the wrong guy to run for president 20 years ago. But that's another story. Or senator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but my point there is they had the world by the ass. I mean, what is the point? Unless you're me, they don't want to make sure I make that I exist. That's the point. That's the only way I can interpret it. Sonny, so around the same time, 1991, you end up getting fired from Nike. You had said that, or in the Soul Man documentary, that it was kind of the the behind the scenes uh, board people who didn't really understood what you did for the company. And then Phil Knight had to deliver the news to you. You end up going to Adidas at the time when Peter Moore shifts over to the brand. Adidas was on the verge of going bankrupt after uh, Horst Dassler, Adi's son, passed away they kind of saved the brand reignite it what was it like going to adidas and then kind of saying you know screw you to nike it took an hour, uh, a year and a half for that to happen for me when they fired me i went on i was doing some things of my own i signed some players i was doing i, I helped a lot of uh, players get cards and those and there's still a lot of money in those cards today you know those yeah those, Cards and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And I had the Kimby McCombo, Stacey Ogwin, Jimmy Jackson. I got I got them card deals. I was doing some other things. I, I, I paid and I kept my ABC camp going. And uh, I was working for Deke. 
uh, we we were going to do an animation. Deke was a con the second to Hanna Barbera's uh, in cartoons. Deke used to go Deke, you know. Yep. DLC. Yeah. Go, that I right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing. My wife was one of the most successful commercial actors in the country. Um, so we were doing okay. Pam was successful, and then I get a call from Rob Strasser, who's still living because he he's the one. He and Peter Moore that made the deal with. Um, uh, the guy that owned the Olympic, you know, ran the Olympics and bought Adidas America. They called me from New York and they asked me to get up there and they, they wanted to talk to me about business. They couldn't tell me on the phone. So I flew to New York. We met in a, a, a pub in New York city and Rob, you know, and Peter come to me and said, we're buying Adidas America and would like to come. I was doing okay. I, I would have, I, I always had faith in myself since a child you know, and I, I, uh, and I said, you know, Rob, we're going to do this all over. And Adidas was like the bottom of the, you know, the barrel or whatever. And I, w- I was pretty happy. And, and like I said, Pammy was very successful. So we were doing good. And he said something to me. On a bar, a bar in New York City, he said, very few men get a chance to climb the same mountain twice. Hmm. And it's, I never forgot those words because later in about, 12 months, I did go and Rob died, as you guys all know. Mm-hmm. And Peter took over the company. I went. It wasn't a lot of money. They gave incentives. But I went with my two friends back into the business. I paid for my own ABCD camp the year after. People don't understand that. In fact, Phil Knight gave us some shares of stock for our wedding anniversary. I used that to pay. Pam and I got married in 84, paid for the camp. So in essence, I wish I'd have saved the stamp, but it, it gave me another life because I think the, the the camp kept me going. And it wasn't the moneymakers, you know, it was the pride. And we had a better camp than Nike my first year, just so you know that. It was a camp in Irvine. But my point there is I went back with Rob and Peter. Rob dies. No one from Nike was allowed to come to the thing. Nobody it was sad because Rob Strasser it was Phil Knight's idea, but I, I don't want to go into it. He wrote his book and that. To me, Rob Strasser was the wind beneath my wings mm-hmm. in that world. There's no question about it. And Peter Moore, and I respect a lot of what Tinker Osborne did, and he doesn't need my respect, that's for damn sure, and all the guys up there. But when, when Peter made the first couple of Jordans, Tinker was working under, under Peter, and he almost was gone. That's not negative. A lot of people, that's not negative at all. I'm not calling, I'm just trying to put history straight. Remember I told you about Spike Lee? I went to Spike Lee because I was working with uh, Andy, the, the Deke, and he wanted to do a cartoon. He wanted me to go to Spike, and I did. And said, they want to do a cartoon of Mars Blackman. Oh, wow. Yeah, true story. And, 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 Spike said, I'm not that character. I'm, you know, I'm Spike Lee. And he didn't do it. So then we went, then they came to me. Then I got, this is sort of what happened. I'm working for Deke, okay, just starting. I did a charity game at the Louisiana Superdome for uh, Hoops and Help, the, the homeless people with Billy Crystal, Wolfie Goldberg, and, uh, and Robin Williams on TV. A salute to Michael Jordan. Just so we know that I'm the executive producer. All the money went to the, the homeless people. I want to. This is after on, Nike had fired you, right? 
No, they fired me after I we filmed it, but I was fired by the time they showed it. In gotcha. September. Gotcha. Okay. I yeah. I, that's again interesting. So what 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 I'm saying to you is the Deke thing. I also went, and we were going to get athletes to make a superstar. Bo Jackson, you know, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, they're going to make a cartoon. So I, I forget Andy's last name, but he, he owned Deke. They're big. They're still huge. I mean, I, we, we, we were going to do a thing with Dikembe Mutombo. I, 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 I got a deal for Dikembe with Deke, and I got one of those card deals, and they were going to, and, and Adidas signed him, if you remember that, name they made right. yeah. They Definitely. made a, a thing because he's African. They were mm -hmm. making like things, you know, that going back to the country, their heritage or whatever, was, the way the shoe was designed and all that sort of thing. So I was doing good, but I was doing these things as I was working at Nike. And then one day I got fired. <laughs> I don't know. Sonny, getting fired, did that have anything to do? You mentioned earlier that people thought you were stealing secrets or trading secrets between yeah. brands. Was that this period? Oh, yeah. No, was at, no they, they did that after I left. They when found you went that to Adidas? I wasn't there anymore. Okay. Did they, when did that happen? It was right after Rob died. It was mm, right Rob after Strasser. Rob died. So whenever they day went. Oh, yeah. Did you know that the guy I was stealing with was Howard White? That was, but you never knew that, did you? So Nike accused you and Howard White of stealing industry espionage. secrets? Yeah, espionage. And I told you on this show, before you even asked me that question, I wouldn't know a sneaker. Mm. Bobby D. Rinaldo did that 40 years ago. That's also, the, the idea that Howard White, Jordan's right-hand man, is stealing trade secrets is crazy, right? Well, he he worked under me, but it's more than, worse than crazy because Howard, right now, Howard just had heart transplant, so... Mm -hmm. I want you to know that, but my point, he was a good friend, but he was, a, he was my cohort, I guess. I mean, mm. that's the, I, that's the hypocrisy, you know, and, and God willingly get through this, but I'm saying he grew up to be, he is, he's, he is. That's why this whole story is like crazy that they actually had the FBI, just so we know that under the RICO act. The FBI investigated oh. you, Sonny? The FBI. Rico. Over sneakers? Espionage. Trade secrets. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, I, I, I don't know how to tie a shoe. I mean, let's, <laughs> let's, I mean, that's what you're talking about. I overcome that. They must have seen that spread of you in Sports Illustrated riding on a Jordan 3 through the air. But you know, but you know what, though? It's interesting. That was done. I was, I was like 86, 87, Craig Kirkpatrick, and I had the whole big thing. And right. They, I did all these things while I did, I worked for Nike. Going back to Adidas, you know, it's like, can lightning strike twice? That's what you just said. And you get a call from Joe Bryant. He says that I'm coming back to the States and I'm bringing my son, Kobe. And then that relationship takes shape. And then you bring Kobe to Adidas. Can you give us the history of, of that partnership coming together and what you saw in Kobe at that point. That, you know, Joe didn't call me. So he's back in. Oh, he didn't. No, he was back in the States. Okay. Okay. And he called other people because he heard about a dear friend of mine, Gary Charles. He knew him because Gary was running the Long Island Panthers. Gary was just getting started. Gary now runs Avis. And he's one of my best friends in the world as we've gone through the last 25 years again. But he knew Gary because Gary was coaching, you know, the AU teams in the area. So we're at camp. 
we're basically at camp now. And it's like the day before the coaches are allowed to come. And in comes this gentleman and a lady and a young man. And he goes to Gary and he says, you know, would you see, you know, he called me Mr. Carroll. He said, would you ask Mr. Carroll if I can come see him? You know, Joe, Gary knew Joe. So Gary comes over and says, Sonny, Joe Bryan's here with his wife and his child. He wants to talk to you. He comes over to me. He tells me about Kobe. I didn't know anything about Kobe. I didn't know he was in Europe. I didn't know that Joe went to Europe. I just know that Joe won the MVP in the 1972 round ball classic in Pittsburgh. Your game. That's why I knew Joe. That game, the game I talked about, the all-star game. Of course, the Dapper Dan. And, yeah, the Dapper Dan. And the mother, her last name, Pam, is for her first name. Pam Cox is Chubby Cox's sister. Chubby played in the 1973 game. So I got mom and dad, their bloodlines into this child here, right? Both of them pretty damn good bloodlines, right? Daddy and, and, and on parents' side, her brother's pretty damn good. And they come and they say, can we get my son? I had no idea he had a son. And there was the code man. And, and I let everybody, I, I always, there was called the sunny rule. The sunny rule was sunny rules. So I put, there was always a few kids who were favored. They could play, but they weren't the guy who was supposed to be the greatest in the world. I had no clue. That's how Kobe Bryant came into my life, and the rest is history. You helped Kobe go to L.A. by yeah. lying to all the agents that Kobe was going to stay in Italy because he didn't want to play for New Jersey, and then you end up signing him to Adidas, and that's kind of where his whole sponsorship uh, sure. takes takes off. I know you had mentioned it with Jordan earlier with Converse and Adidas. If Kobe didn't go to the Lakers, do you think he would have been the big sneaker superstar that he ended up being? I I think, like Michael, Kobe would have been a superstar playing for you and I. But that couldn't have happened. See, that all worked in well. And he played with Shaquille. They win world championships, and he becomes the mama, right? That, that doesn't happen. It's Charlotte. That doesn't happen in, uh, you know, Memphis. It just doesn't happen, and especially in those days where the city meant a hell of a lot. Today, the kid, you know, like Zion goes to New Orleans. He's pretty damn good. You're going to, you know, the times have changed because you have what? You have the internet. You have instant celebrity on Facebook, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it's, it wasn't like that. So Kobe and Michael, in my estimation, both benefited by being associated with whatever the shoe company was and whatever the town was that was going to market him. We also did the same thing for Kobe. We created a Kobe shoe. Kevin Garnett really was the first high school kid other than Moses Malone, if you go mm -hmm. way back to Moses. But if you go to Kevin, and Kevin got a decent deal, and I was very close to Kevin. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't sign for anybody. I was probably not even in the business then. My point there was, is that Kobe going to the Lakers, it happened a lot quicker. You know, would he have been great? We all know great players, even today, mm -hmm. that were stifled by the town they went to in a draft. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's, that, so he would have been also, I think. I don't know if he'd have won championships somewhere else. You had, you had mentioned, too, actually in an interview you had done with a writer for, for our website that 
Kobe kind of mentioned to you when when he wanted to go to Duke whether you could get him a sneaker deal in the NCAA and you kind of had to explain to him that that's not possible. Do you remember Kobe trying to get a sneaker contract in college? I can visually see we were at Vagabondo's Italian restaurant in New York City. That's where we were. That was my hand. Pam and I had it. They closed it after like 50 years. Our picture was on the wall. That's where I would go. Italian centric, the whole thing, right? And we go and go, well, they were, they, they lived in Italy, so it was a great place to go. So we had our, we knew we we're signing them now. We were there to have the announcement in New York City. We went to Vagabondo's and we're sitting there in the, in the booth that uh, Charlie had set up for us, another Charlie. He turns to me as Kobe would, that very matter of factly, very, uh, I don't, no, no kid ever asked me that before or after, okay? He said, Mr. Vaccaro, if I would have gone to Duke, which I assumed that's where he was going to go, uh, could you have signed, could you have signed me to an Adidas contract then? I said, can't. Why not? Because you can't make any money and we can't sign individual. We have to sign a coach. But I'm wearing the shoe. And that's how the, con- Kobe Bryant, if you're staying on this for one more second, if you give me, was the most intellectual, quizzical person I've ever met in my life. Wow. At a young age, I got to tell you this story. Defend it, finish up the first time Joe and Pam bring him over to me. Camp's over. He was like Tracy, number 175, because he wasn't even on the roster. Joe brought him over and we gave him a uniform. They didn't go, you know. And he comes over to me after he's a junior, okay? And he comes over and thanks me, Mr. Carey, thank you for joining us at camp. I had a great time, but I want to apologize. Gentlemen, I said this story a thousand times, and to all your listeners, never before before or after has anyone done this. But I want to apologize. Kobe, why would you apologize? I was ecstatic. We discovered somebody new. That's what ABC was to me, the guy that you know, no one knew about. I said, you made the all-star team. He said, yeah, but next year I'll come back. I'm going to be the best player in this camp. And he certainly was. This was a year before... And five days before the world even knew who he was. Mm-hmm. LeBron had a little bit of a buildup. Tracy made his the next year because he didn't even go to high school. Mm-hmm. And that's where, when you guys write history, I want someone to explain to me of thousands of kids, literally thousands I've looked at, and people that I picked to pay the serious money to, and didn't get sometimes. It was all in my head. I didn't know shit about if he could jump this or do that or if he could pick and roll. I didn't. I know the game and I know ability. And I have a feel for marketing. It's not explainable. I can't explain it. It would be easy to have just a piece of paper and give it to you. But I just gave you three or four examples. There was no rhyme or reason. I knew that junior year, I went home, my good friend Gary Charles. I tell Adidas, Peter Moore, Rob's dead now. I got my player. You've got to move me to New York. What? Pam and I want to live in New York for a year. What are you going to live? Because I can't do anything out here in Las Vegas or Los Angeles, wherever I'm living. I got to be in the middle of basketball, and I have an idea what I'm going to do. They rented me a beautiful apartment on 3rd Avenue, and it's, I still go past it. 
And we lived there for eight months. And no one knew what I was doing. One time, Gary Charles and I rode to see Villanova play because Kerry Kittles was there. And he was a guy I might have signed if I wasn't after this high school kid. But then we went, it was Christmas. Then we went to um, Kobe and, and Pam's house for Christmas, you know, with a little white picket fence and walking in the house, drinkers. We, I knew then there was going to be Kobe. I knew that Adidas was going to do it. I never saw Kobe nor LeBron play a high school basketball game, ever. Wow. And I know it in New York. I made all my rounds. I did all, got set, I was recruiting Lamar Odom to come to camp. I, I did all the AU. Gary was my, you know, we were just growing into this great relationship. And actually, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. So you can't deny the facts of whatever it is or isn't that I am or was. You can only try and deny what reality was. The reality was this. I have been very fortunate to have lived at the right time in the right place where no one thought, no one else thought like I did. That's the only way I can explain it. And I, I hope mean, was, was Nike before. thinking like you at the time? Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out. You signed Kobe to this giant deal right out of high school, unprecedented. He signs to Adidas. You announced, I think, in May 1996. Was Nike going after Kobe Bryant at all at that point? Nope. None of them. They know who he was. He lived in Philly. Sonny Hill lived in Philly. He lived in Philly. Are you crazy? Kobe, I, he, he did the famous thing with uh, the, the, uh, John, um, the, the the coach. Uh, he's the head coach. Sorry. Oh, my God. Uh, he worked Kobe out. That's in all the books. Everybody knew who Kobe was that spring. Everyone knew how good he was. He was mm-hmm. played in the year then. No. No. And I walk in and I give him $1 million. And I give his dad $150,000. To be a consultant. Mm-hmm. I gave him $1.1 million. Coming out of high school. High school. And I gave Kobe or Tracy more next year. Twice as much, right? Yeah. So my point to your show yeah. and your listeners, it's, it's the easiest conversation I can ever have because there's no, it's there. It's fact. <laughs> you know, and there's so mm-hmm. many other, I mean, it's, it's almost ridiculous. It really is. It's a sad in a way. It's sad that, that you know, it, it's sad. I feel more hurt by Michael. See, because when Michael had his own issues with, with, with Nike and whatever, and obviously he can't have a now, he knows what was done. I lived with him. I mean, that's the hurt. Raveling, that's who he is. And Phil, it's just something about it. I guess he just wants to be the guy that did it. But I guess I'm the guy that shot Liberty Balance, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. What did I do? Did I, did I kill the story? The story was okay while we lived it. Right. I mean, that's, and now they want to do it. I think the trouble with them, I lived too long. I've still got a good mind. You know, talk <laughs> yeah. people like you. Still I, you have two or three people to watch and listen to your show, I hope. Do you think there's any room for you guys to reconcile one day with all the history that you guys they have? Would, they wouldn't do it. They can't do it. They can't. They're, they're Michael and they're, and they're Phil. They ain't going to apologize. They're too competitive, you think? 
not, nothing to do with competitive. They started their own lie. How are you going to apologize your lie? Nobody like that ever apologized. You have a president that can't apologize. Are you nuts? People like that don't apologize for lies. They just don't. Sonny, did they ever, you, you say that you kind of had free reign at Nike and Adidas to kind of do whatever you want. Was there ever a situation where someone told you no, where you had a, the next big player or the person that you wanted to offer a huge contract to in the companies shut it down? Yeah, Adidas. What, what player was it? LeBron. With the, with the discrepancy of the money? Yeah. If they had gave me the $100 million, I don't know if LeBron would have left. You can't play history. He's pretty successful there mm-hmm. now, and he would have been successful. I don't know that. I think he would have signed with us. You wanted to sign LeBron for $100 million, but when it finally got down to it, Adidas only gave you 70 to give him. Is that right? Yeah. And they agreed to $100 million at first. You were, you were going into the meeting with $100 million, we're going to get LeBron James. Gentlemen. Gentlemen, never in my life did I ever give a number out without telling either Rob or Phil or whoever it was, you know, Tom Shine when we were at, uh, when I was at Reebok for a couple of days, you know, Mr. Fireman. I don't make things up. I don't pay the money. I met with the the owners from Medina. They flew to the United States. I met them downtown, you know, Santa Monica. Actually, done uh, uh, whatever by the ocean I I always had permission I didn't concoct these numbers but I said this is what I'm paying you but no one ever refuted it the only thing Rob they had the number they had $500,000 in their kitty the year we signed Jordan that's what we had and we had that money because the college programs were good we had they only sold, you know, $25 million worth of shoes in 1977. So we had $500,000 a year we can spend. And that's why I said, give it all to the kid. So there was a number. I didn't come up with that number. But everything else, until I died, Reebok, you know, Adidas, Kobe, Tracy, no one ever got a contract without, well, it was me. I set the number. And you know what? It only made sense because that was what was happening in the world I lived in. I was a guy that signed Michael Jordan, you know, and, and, and something very interesting for your program. Uh, you know, Benji, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Benji, Benji Wilson, that, Benji, you know, yeah, Benji, Chicago, I, I yeah. wanted to talk. I didn't know if we were going to get to this, but I, I wanted to talk to you about Benji. Well, let me and get, get, get ahead. So let me tell you about Benji because well, he comes to the camp. And he's the greatest player in the world. And he gets shot. And I was very Chicago. What I want yes. to show you here is they they murdered him at that hospital, and they found out in court records. I had nothing to do with this. They found out in court records that the gurney, where they put Benji down there to wait to get put into the emergency room, he laid there for certain hours, a long hours, and he died. If it had got him, no one knows if it had got him to the emergency room, we could have lived. They tried to sue. Here's the catch. So we are going to court. Chris Walsh, who was manager of the uh, general manager of the Memphis Grizzlies, I baptized his child, and I knew Chris since the Dapper Dan days in the 80s. I, he was one of my closest friends, was the godfather of his child, okay? 
he was a big man in the NBA. Bob Gibbons and Marty Blake were witnesses for the defense saying they said that you cannot judge a high school player's value. I said, and I know Chris did something too, but I know what I said. I said, yes, you can. There was no, just the first time ever, no one was going pro. It's what, and I said, Benji Wilson could have a chance, he would have been one of the greatest players. He had all the ability to achieve whatever it was he was seeking and make money. They won the lawsuit. His mother and everyone in court records gave Chris and I credit, and maybe more to me than in Chris, because Chris added to it, and I don't want to take it away. But we beat Marty Blake and Bob Givens, who you guys know, used to grade every college player, high school player in the world, okay? He won. The family, you watch Benji, the two young kids did the the, the video. Mm -hmm. They credited me, and they put his jersey from camp in the coffin. Benji and I talked one and a half days before he was murdered because I was making sure he was sending in his stuff to play in the Dapper Dan Ron Ball Classic. I had a call from that, that store that he and his girlfriend left. And he was there. That's what we do. He'd call me collect on certain we I got close to him. I, I, mm-hmm. I did that. And mm-hmm. I was only with him for a week. And one of the turning points of my life was Ben Wilson. One of the, I mean, it's but the the best thing in a in a horrible thing is it it put something in place here that the value of a human being cannot be determined by human beings that say there are no value in anybody. And he had value, and the mother and the family won, and that was. That might have been my first outward step in the wrong direction. I went against everything, right? And I had nothing to go other than who I was because I was the guy that signed Michael Jordan. And you used, you used sneak, did you use sneaker deal value for this Benji case as well? Like what he could potentially make being that good? Basically, that was part of the, of the, the question. I, I didn't say a number. What I said okay. was, I thought, again, I, I can, I'm trying to remember. What I mm-hmm. said, there is value. That's what I said. I didn't say there was Michael's or whatever. Because if you go from Michael to, because uh, Benny was right around Michael now, just so we understand. That was the 80s that that happened. But we just signed Michael, right? So we're playing results now when you're asking me these questions. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Result. They asked me this question in '91 or something. Whenever they they went to court, it took a minute or two to go to court and to win this. Just so we understand, I said then to the lawyers, so she could win a lawsuit. I said there was value, and said I was signing Michael. By then, there was history because I did other yeah. deals, and so my word carried beat. The two experts, Marty Blake, in case your audience doesn't know, ran the NBA scouting system. He had tournaments and all that stuff. And, and mm-hmm. Bob ran high school. He graded every high school player. And I came in and said, Benji had value. Huh. That's Son- what your yeah. listeners should take out of this. Sonny, 
Adidas doing the Adidas offering 70 million instead of the 100 million for LeBron you described as the biggest mistake ever made in corporate America is Adidas switching that number. Do you still feel that way? Well, look where Adidas is today. Yeah. What would you say? Well, they, they made a huge mistake and they signed good players. They had Derek, Derek Rose, yes. they had a couple good Jimmy Harden now. They just don't know what to do with their players. And Derek, and Derek, I, I pray that he probably won, was going to be one of the greatest players ever to play mm-hmm. before the injury. Derek Rose, mm-hmm. he, he, he has to get consideration because of the MVP, but he probably won't make the Hall of Fame, which is a stupid goddamn thing to get idiots in there. But my point here is Derek Rose is great, great. And James Harden's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah. But they, there's something about marketing. You just, you're all not Michael. And no one knew what the hell Michael was until Spike made it. Mm-hmm. They still didn't know Michael. No one wants to believe that. I, and I'm only saying this. It was the shoes. It was the shoes. It was the shoes. It was Spike. Spike was the MVP. The commercials were the MVP. And Nike made great commercials. Wyden and Kennedy. Yeah, yeah Wyden and Kennedy. Great commercials. Great commercials. Still today. Sonny, it feels like right now Nike is more powerful than it's ever been in terms of the sportswear industry and how much they control the global sneaker trade. How do you feel about that? I think it's, well, I have no animus towards Nike. I have animus towards Phil and mm-hmm. what they did to me personally. I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. I can't. Nike, the organization you are not against. Well, I, I compete against them. Do I? I mean, I, no, no. The people who work there, whatever. You work for somebody. You work for them. You owe them your thing. This isn't personal. With it's personal with what Phil did. Mm. That's what's personal. It's like what Michael did. That well, I, I'm not mad at you know a lot of those guys, especially when I was you know I, I left in 2007. The AU stuff and the tournaments. Mm-hmm. And the, I gave up everything. No one, no one ever says he gave up his empire. Other than who I work for, gentlemen, there are three things in my life that were original. Round ball classic, ABCD camp, and the big time tournament in Las Vegas. They were the biggest mm-hmm. events of the summer. I did that all in like a three or four month period. But I was in contact with the world because all the kids that I signed, I knew them. My relationship with those kids during the time that I was with them, you know, Kobe's and I, you know, once he switched over to Nike, it was obviously different. But we lived. Were you were you I, paying attention to that when he switched over? I was involved with. It. I mean, I I didn't get involved in the thing. That was between him and management. I didn't right. get involved. Even in Soul Man, I said to me, I said it then. I'll say it now. It was a business decision, and it was a it was a reflection on what Kobe, as he lived through this short life and this horrible death. That's who he was. He was a businessman. He was the only athlete until Magic Johnson came around, who was really a businessman also. But Magic wasn't like Kobe. Kobe was doing things that no one knew he was doing. Just like, I think that they planned out the Nike thing. But if that's what he wanted to do, he did. What was my obligation? To get him for Adidas. I I didn't get involved with with that once they were there. I didn't make, you know, whatever. Kobe... Kobe left and he left. Okay. You don't, you, you don't, so you don't remember. I remember there was just talk of 
Kobe wasn't happy with how his sneakers looked. Um, and do you remember any of that at all? Or I, I only knew that was the reason given publicly. And it probably had something to do with it. Although I would say you asked me a question an hour ago. Kobe had every right to be. He was at all the meetings. He, he helped design it. We all forgot that. And again, I wasn't part of that. But he helped design it. And you know, Kobe would have, right? So the meticulous, he would have seen what they were doing. Sure. It was after some car. I mean, they were doing this in a the car. Audi, yeah. yeah. The Audi, yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm saying to you, the kids, the players, the families of these kids, that was my life when they were kids. They all left. I still communicate, you know, with LeBron's mom. I talk to, you know, the guys that work for him, you know. I know these guys. There's no reason for me to be in their life now. They, 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 and I don't, and it's, it's business. Once you go from there to there, my job was to get them there. A lot of kids, you know, I, I don't know how to explain this to you, but if you go through the, the years that I lived and see who I touched just by the events that I had, I knew the mothers and dads. Because all my events, the mothers and dads were there. When, when, when we hosted the round ball or the big timer, the parents were our guests. It wasn't like mm-hmm. McDonald's. You know, we bought their airplane tickets, put them in a hotel room. McDonald's made them buy their own tickets. But, I mean, I'm not using McDonald's as a scapegoat. But, but the round ball, everything I did was personal. Everything other people did was a business. I knew these kids pretty damn well. Sonny, you're, you're, does your ex- sports marketing exec mind pay attention to what's going on in sneakers at all anymore? It's such a it's a multi billion dollar industry. We have this podcast. We we have sneaker shows now. It's so mass. Do you pay attention to it at all? Does does that old Sonny Vaccaro mind? You see some commercials. You're like, you know what? That brand did a good job. Are you paying attention to it at all nowadays? I can say to you that I probably talked to more lottery picks than anyone for the last five years at least, at least five, go back five, five or six, because the one and done thing mm-hmm. out of high school, there's no more of that. So, uh, I talk to the parents, I don't get involved with who they pick, what they do. And as far as the business itself, frankly, Giuseppe, I don't give a damn. Okay. okay, like Mr. Gable. Okay, frankly, Scarlett, I don't give a damn because. <laughs> but I I pay attention. Like you know mm. what I do with games now. I, I watch the games. I know all the all the all the NBA guys. And now since there's no college guys, it doesn't make a difference anymore. You know, I'm still very close to the general man. A lot of the general managers and presidents of these teams are kids that work my camp. They were kids mm. then, personal yeah. friends. I mean, you know, so. I love the game. I loved the football game yesterday, and I didn't. I didn't have a particular rooting interest in any of them. I just I'm pissed off the at the NCAA, obviously, you know, for a lot of million billion other reasons that have nothing to do with my own life. But my point there is, I root for some 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 individuals, some kids, some schools. Some schools I still have aggravation with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I have my. Personal issues, although it didn't infringe on a, a relationship other than I don't see college coaches, I was always hurt, and I still am today, and we're at this point in time where 
I think the biggest sin in college sports is because the coaches on all the sports there are paid by the universities and run by and run by everyone else, but paid by the universities and the conferences. They don't stick up for the kids getting reimbursed and this you know name, image, and likeness thing. I think it's disgraceful. You know, Mr. Saban, who is you know obviously going to be considered, and for all re all the right reasons, mm-hmm. he made a one million dollars in bonuses this year. It's interesting to me that if he would have been coaching Northern Alabama and been the same brilliant guy, you know, it'd have been nice to. I'm not because I'm not denigrating what their value is. I'm just trying to say that never once as a college coach ever stood up for these kids. And without these kids and these players, there wouldn't be these college coaches. And I want to say something on your show. And I say this, John Thompson was one of my dearest friends. And then when I left and he went on the board of directors of Nike, obviously we didn't see each other that much. But we stayed in touch until his death. And I talked to him prior to his death. And his book just came out. And if you read his book, in his book, he said, after years, and again, I was with John when, when we had these discussions personally, when he didn't think, you know, the kids were getting room board and tuition and all that shit. And he finally said that now he sees that this should be, the kids should get reimbursed. They should figure out something. And it's going to help going forward because John said it. It would have helped a hell of a lot more if John would have said it 20 years ago, just like Michael giving money now, it helped a hell of a lot more when certain people in society by all people, by all shoes has nothing to do with right, wrong, or different. It took too long for some of these people, but John helped. And I pray, I mean, I, I, I'm as sad as anybody other than family. He was good to me. I was a great friend with him. I'll never forget the Georgetown teams, the kids that played for him. I knew them all personally, as I did a lot of teams, but none as close as I was to the Georgetown kids, and none as close as I was to John Thompson. What he said means something, and it's in a book. So now when I relate, it may have taken him a day or two, but he's doing more of what he totally believes in while he was on earth, that these kids need something. And John's name and voice carries weight. So when I get asked that question, when you look back over everything that you've done in in the business you're in, the show you're doing, the reason you can do this show and the reason it's so popular, all the other, you know, things by the umbilical cord are connected to games is something I said in 1977. You want to sell product? It's the kids. I actually thought of Albert King and Wayne Wayne McCoy and Eugene Banks and the kids in the 60s and 70s when I thought of this to sell shoes. Pay the college coaches because I couldn't pay, like I told Kobe. Mm -hmm. But the college coaches would make those kids wear the shoes. And when we had all four teams in the final four and no one else was there and none of you guys covered the way it should have. It was there because I was on TV every damn day. But the point was, 
Converse was in that business for 10,000 years. Adidas was in there forever. Nike just started in the 1970s. And we had all four teams, which meant everything coming out of, you know, Kentucky that day, that year, was that. And it happened to have one of the great games of all time. I, oh my. So I'm just telling you, marketing and kids go together. I saw something in that when I had an all-star game when I'm 24 years old. The world saw it when Michael Jordan proved it. The same kids were 16 and 17 and 15 and 14 when Magic Johnson or Julius Irving conference, and there was no need to. They were the only company. They were selling shoes, and they made a buck. But marketing, 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 marketing is what it's all about. Amazing. Sonny, can't thank you enough. I think you gave us more than an hour. I can't thank Pam enough as, you know, we're, we're a lot younger and we've been in this a lot less than you, but you are a legend and to hear you, these stories, it's such an inspiration. So talk soon. Appreciate you so much. And I enjoyed it. And I really did. God bless you. Thank you very much. Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by William Smith. Special thanks to Jennifer Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network.